Good morning, church. First of all, I want to give honor to God. I want to thank the pastor for giving me this opportunity. And now I'm going to pray for God to give me the, the permission to preach. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning, Lord. Lord, we want to thank you for a pastor. We want you to bless him in such a way that everybody can see what a life he lives and how you are blessed, Lord. Lord, I want to ask you permission to preach your word, Lord. I want to ask you to give me the power, the Holy Spirit power, Lord. Lord, use me to touch the souls in this, um, your house, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, I'm going to, this is kind of a little different than I normally do, but um, I'm going to be throwing out some different scriptures, so I'm not going to ask you to turn to any certain one. But uh, what I'm going to speak about is uh, a gift promised by God. I'm going to start off at, uh, on Deuteronomy 28, 1, 21. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, and because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. Now, it says if we obey the voice of the Lord, if we observe carefully all his commandments. And he's not, not talking about just the commandments, he's talking about all his commandments. And first, I want to establish a couple of things. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So all Scriptures are from God. Amen? John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. First Timothy 3.16 says, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles. And John 10.30 says Jesus answered them I am my father I am my f- and my father are one yes, so God and Jesus are the one and the same amen, amen. Hebrews 13:8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever uh-huh. so God hasn't changed from the time he was talking to Deuteronomy amen? amen he's the same today as he was yesterday God has not changed so within the entire Bible, God has given us commandments. God has given them through the priests. He's given them through the prophets. He's given them through some of the kings. God has given them through his son, Jesus. God has given commandments through his son's apostles. And God hasn't changed his mind about them at all. Amen? So if we are to obey the voice of God and keep his commandments that are in the Bible, we will be blessed. So in honor of the pastor's appreciation, I'm going to speak about the gift that God has given us and commandments concerning it. The gift. God gave us numerous gifts. He does every day as we wake up. But I'm going to speak about one particular gift. Jeremiah 3.15 says, And I will give you pastors according to my heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. What is a pastor according to God's heart? 
A man who is patient with people. A man who is kind and gentle with people. A man that loves all people. A man who is humble, who is unselfish. A man who has joy of the Lord. A man who loves praising and worshiping God. A man who leads his people to worship God. A man who's willing to love to who willing and loves to serve God. A man who loves ministering to children, loves ministering to singles, he loves ministering to couples, he loves ministering in the prisons and those in the hospital. A man who believes in doing the right thing and being holy. A man who is courageous and strong in the Lord. A man who will stand up for righteousness and speak out against sin. A man who is honest and trustworthy. A man who has set a godly example. A man who challenges us to live holy. A man who, that studies God's word. A man that teaches God's word. And a man that lives God's word. This is a gift that God gave New Beginnings. A pastor according to God's heart. A pastor that feeds us. A pastor that gives us understanding. God gave us Pastor Wilson. And a beautiful gift it is. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, who proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. God gave us a beautiful gift, and to honor God, we must appreciate his gift by obeying his commandments about that gift. And the commandments about this gift, Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember them which had the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. In this scripture, he gave us two commandments. <coughs> Excuse me. One, he says, remember those who rule over you. Okay, if you look up the words, remember those, or look up this scripture, it says, be mindful of them. And when it says remember it, the Greek word, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I will slaughter it. But it means to be mindful. Be mindful of it. It's telling us to stop once in a while. Stop once in a while. We all get busy in our lives. We're all busy in our old thing. Some of us are thinking about what we're going to be doing after church already. But we need to stop and think and stop once in a while and think about what God has given us. Pay attention to how hard the pastor works. Every time he's in here, he is working. Notice the time the pastor has spent ministering to us. Notice the time he spent teaching to us. Notice the time he has spent preaching to us at NBC. Notice the time he has done the same thing to the rest of the world. He has traveled the world doing the same thing. Then you take that time. You consider all the time he's spent doing this. You take that time and you double it or you triple it. And for those who don't study for those who don't spend the time to prepare like Pastor does, you'll understand a slight amount about how much time he spends that you don't see. That time that, was, that most of us would spend with our family and friends, 
That's time that most of us would take to relax and have fun. That time that most of us would use to sleep. That time the pastor offers to us with love. We are to remember it. We are to be mindful of it. It is a gift, and we need to appreciate it. The other commandment says, whose faith follow? The Greek word for the following, for follow here means to imitate. What God is commanding us is to imitate the, fa- uh, the faith that the pastor has. From what I've seen and from what I heard from him, our pastor believes and has faith in every one of God's word. Pastor has faith as an example to us. God gave us an example to be mindful of. An example that we are to Im- imitate. And why are, why, to, why are we to imitate pastor's faith? God finished up the scripture with considering the end of their conversations. According to Strong, what he's saying, attentively, look again at the end of their behavior. And what is the end of their behavior? According to 1 Peter 5, 4, concerning the elders of, or under-shepherds of the church, so it tells us that, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. If we imitate pastor's faith, we too will receive the crown of glory. Show God and pastor that you appreciate the gift that was given to us. We can do this by taking care of our pastor. We can do this by supporting our pastor. We can do this by praying for our pastor. We can do this by loving our pastor, by honoring our pastor, by obeying our pastor. We can show appreciation by um, paying attention to our pastor when he's preaching, when he's teaching. We um, 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 show our appreciation being mindful of our pastor. Give our pastor joy and not grief. Our pastor needs to enjoy his work. A pastor needs to be, feel appreciated. One of the ways to feel appreciated is not to give the man grief. A lot of the mess, a lot of the grief he has has to do with our own mess. That is his job, but wouldn't it be nice to make his life a little more easier? A lot of our grief that we give him is petty stuff. Stuff that we should take to God and then let go. And most of us The greatest and most rewarding way to show appreciation to God and to the pastor is to grow in grace, to live a holy life. Prove that God's gift was not wasted on you. Thank you. Grace and joy to you, family. If you will please stand with me, I'll read our scripture for this morning, for this session. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you will turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'll start with uh, verse 1, and then I will skip down to verse 14. Paul writes here about himself and others who brought the gospel to the church at Corinth. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. 
But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Skipping down now to verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Lord, we thank you for this word from your, from your Apostle Paul and concerning the church at Corinth. Lord, may you bless the preaching of the word today that we would understand that this is also your church, New Beginnings Church, and that we have pastors given by you to bless us here. This we thank you for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My title today is Countless Guides, But Not Many Fathers. And I'm going to tell you about three pastors and church planters. The first one is the Apostle Paul, whom we've heard from. The other one is my own father, the Reverend Melvin Beckel, who was a pastor and a church planter, and our own lead pastor at New Beginnings Church, Dr. Angelus Wilson, whom we are here to honor today. Now, our passage that I've just read is from the first epistle to the church in Corinth, the church that Paul planted in the early 1950s uh, of the first century, not the 1950s. He planted that church with the help of Priscilla and Aquila, two Jewish tent makers who had been exiled from Rome by the emperor Claudius. And there were others that were part of the church planting team, Silas, Timothy, And Apollos also helped plant the church in Corinth, as we read in the book of Acts in chapter 18. So there was a whole team involved. Now, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth from Ephesus, where Paul spent three years planting the church there. And he was in the midst of this when troubles arose in Corinth. Paul had spent over 18 months founding the church in Corinth, And so it it had his full attention, and as we see, it had the benefit of an entire team. But we learn in his epistle that the church at Corinth was rife with disunity and disorder, with immorality and theological confusion. In fact, just a few verses beyond our passage, Paul demands that the church disfellowship a man who had taken his father's wife as his own, probably the father's younger second wife. And rather than being ashamed of this, the Corinthian church was proud of this situation. In addition to all of this, the Corinthians were divided in their loyalty. Some were following Paul, as they would say. Some followed Apollos. And some apparently were following other so-called Christian teachers and preachers who had come to Corinth since Paul left. So that's why Paul underscores his status as a father in Christ. He makes a special claim for himself here in the fourth chapter of the epistle to the Corinthians. He writes, though you have countless guides in Christ, so-called guides, yet you do not have many fathers, for I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
Now, what is the application that we can draw from all of this? First, we see that even a church planted by the Apostle Paul himself had its problems. Paul writes in this epistle, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, which is Jesus Christ. So we know that Paul preached the gospel tight but right in Corinth, yet some Corinthians went astray. Now, the application here is that you cannot blame the pastor when you refuse to listen and you go off and do your own thing. When you just go off and say, I'm doing me, you can't blame the pastor. And there's a second application. Paul suggests here that in addition to being disciples of Master Jesus, we also benefit from having human masters and teachers whom we can follow and imitate. Paul writes... Be imitators of me. Of course, this also suggests that the standards are very high for church planters and pastors. People expect the pastor to model Christ for them. And they are right to expect that. That is why if you have a good pastor, you should be thankful to God and you should support your pastor. Now, let me repeat that. If you have a good pastor... You should be thankful to God, and you should support your pastor. Now, let me talk about my father as a model in Christ. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, I'm here today because of my father, and all of the most important things I ever learned, I learned from him and my mother. I'm attracted to today's scripture because it is one that I heard my own father quote many times, in sermons and in other contexts, as it says in the King James Version, though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. This is, of course, a favorite passage for dedicated pastors like my father. And, of course, the passage meant a lot to me as the son, growing up in a pastor's home, but even later in life. You see, unlike my parents, I had the chance to pursue higher education all the way to a doctoral degree. By contrast, my father quit school after the eighth grade to work full-time on the family farm. And so, unlike my father, I've had many instructors, not quite 10,000, but many instructors, many very impressive instructors, people who've studied all over the world with degrees from Ivy League institutions and so on. Still, I've often thought about this verse, 
Though ye have ten thousand instructors, yet have ye not many fathers. Now, who are these ten thousand instructors that Paul mentions? The Greek term here is paedagogos. It's the source for our English word pedagogy. Pedagogy is the art or technique of teaching. And that's why the King James Version calls them instructors. But the Greek pedagogos is not a master teacher. Instead, he is the guide of small boys or of little children. In Greece, he was a low-level servant who watched the children at play, who guided them on the road from home to school and back home again. This is really babysitting work, as we would call it nowadays. In other words, Paul is saying this to the Corinthian church. The countless guides merely accompany you here and there, but they are not the father to whom you return home. The guides are merely servants for hire. But in me, Paul says, you have a real father in Christ. You have someone who brought you the gospel. These guides only lead you to the doorstep of the school or home. They are fit only to guide small children. With me, however, you have someone able to guide you into Christian maturity. In me, you have a spiritual father, someone more committed to you than any mere guardian or teacher will ever be. Paul here expresses the same thought that Jesus expressed in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, I am a true shepherd and spiritual father to you. These other men who have led you astray, who have led you into danger, they are mere hirelings. Now, those were my thoughts, too, when I was in graduate school, and some of my instructors were trying to impress me with their worldly knowledge and their anti-religious social theories. I watched these teachers very carefully, not only for their intellectual brilliance, but also to see whether they were worthy of my moral respect. And I had a very high standard that I used as a yardstick, and that is the moral integrity of my father. And by that standard, although he only had an eighth grade education, some of those instructors in graduate school failed to measure up. Though you have 10,000 instructors, yet have ye not many fathers. You see, I know my father up close and personal. I've listened not only to his words, I've watched his life. I've watched him when he was mistreated, and I've seen him persevere where most men would fail. Now let's talk about Angelus D. Wilson, the spiritual father of this church. As you know, Angelus Wilson is the founder of this church. He planted this church. For some members here, he is the one who gave the call to salvation to which they responded. The same as Paul with the church in Corinth. And for all of us, he is someone that we've watched as he's labored in the word of God, preaching and teaching, trying to lead us into further Christian maturity. Now, nowadays, the 10,000 instructors in Christ are people that you can find on TV, on YouTube, 
on Facebook. And although some of these instructors may have good things to say, the problem is that you cannot really know their lives from a distance. You cannot know whether their lives are worthy of your moral respect. And I think that's very important. Now, our pastor, Wilson, understands all of this. And that's why he calls the church a family. He invites you to be close to him. That's why he demands access to every area of a member's life. And he gives us access to every area of his life, as we've heard many times. You see, that's the kind of relationship that I have with my father. And that's why I respect my father so much. And that's what Pastor Wilson is offering to us. You see, there are 10,000 instructors in Christ out there who will offer you all sorts of things, but few of them will offer you the kind of access, the kind of example, up close and personal, that Pastor Wilson offers. Now, before coming to New Beginnings Church, I've known Pastor Wilson as my university pastor at FPU, and I've watched him very carefully. Based on my experience, I can tell you that Angelus Wilson is a good shepherd and an anointed pastor. He has given me good counsel when I've needed it. He's encouraged me when I was down. He's seen the good in me when others saw me only in the worst light. He's even taken some bullets for me, as I call it. That is, he's taken heat because he supported me. He's taken undeserved insults and abuse for my sake. That's why I love me some Pastor Wilson. Now, there are very few men that can hold a candle to my father. Very few. But Pastor Wilson is one of those men. That's really the highest compliment that I can give to any man is to compare that man with my father. I would compare this man with my father. Though you have countless guides in Christ, yet ye have not many fathers. And that's why we should be thankful for, our, for Pastor Wilson on this Pastor's Appreciation Sunday. Let's give God some praise. Grace and joy to you, family. Oh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord, and it's good to hear preaching like this this morning. Man, Pastor Bokel made me cry. <laughs> I wanted to call my dad. <laughs> I'm just saying, I wanted to call my dad. Would you stand with me as we read God's holy word? We're going to be coming from uh, out of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to read verses 6 through 9. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation today. So maybe a little unfamiliar to you. It was to me, and, and it struck me in a new way, so uh, that's why I decided to use it. And it reads, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God, because you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So Paul then says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Amen. You may be seated. 
Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this celebration, O God. We thank you that we're celebrating life today while it is here today, O God. So, Father, I pray that you would use me, Father, that you would cleanse me of my sins and that people would see you through my words. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, family, I have a confession to make. When uh, Pastor Wilson gave us this assignment a few weeks ago, uh, I was listening to the radio on my way home, and, and uh, I like to hear preaching, right? I like to hear all kinds of preaching, good preaching, great preaching, and even bad preaching, right? <laughs> because uh, even, if it's, even if it's bad preaching and they're preaching the Word of God and they're sharing the gospel, it's good preaching, right? It's encouraging. And, and so I was on my way home, and I was in my truck, and I was listening, and as I was driving and half listening and half paying attention, I heard the preacher say something, and he said, you will always harvest what you plant. And that struck me because I'd never heard it that way. If you're used to the King James or the New King James Version, you would read, you will reap what you sow. So, so when I had heard it, I, I wrote it down, and I've learned to carry a notepad in my truck. I wrote it down, and, and I said, hey, this is perfect, because I can talk about my pastor harvesting what he's planted, right? I said, this is great. This is perfect for pastor appreciation. I could talk about what Pastor Wilson has done as he's been a pastor, as he's been a follower of Christ. I could talk about what he did here in Fresno, what he did in Chicago and Alabama, where he's gone to Russia and he's gone to Africa and where he's been all over the globe. I could talk about what he's done in Lamore and Hanford and Chowchilla and, of course, here in Fresno at New Beginnings at Fresno Pacific, right? I said, I had it made. This was easy. It was in the bag. Half my sermon was written right there. All I had to do was go home and Google, you will always harvest what you plant. And then that would be the other half of the work. I was done. Because I hadn't heard that translation. You know what I found? I found when I, when I, when I Googled that, it came up, and, and there was two verses that came up. The first one came up, and it was Proverbs 14, verse 14 through 16, and that was in the CEV. And, and I, I scratched my head and said, I don't know what that is, so I had to Google something else. And that's the contemporary English version, right? And I said, I'm not familiar with that one. So, hey, look at this one here, Galatians 6, 7. That's in the New Living Translation. I got a copy of that. I can take that one. That's going to be the one I'm going to run with because I'm comfortable. But you know what I realized, family? I realized and remembered that this is new beginnings. That my pastor, that my mentor, my teacher, he's the Dr. Angelus Dion Wilson. Right? And that means something. That means that we don't take the handling of Scripture lightly. Right? You know that we're an expository teaching and preaching church, right? We believe that walking through books of the Bible, chapters at a time, comma by comma and line by line, right? So it meant that I just couldn't pick out part of a verse. I couldn't just take out the middle and build a whole sermon around it. I couldn't deal with it without understanding the context and the culture of what Paul was writing when he wrote to the church at Galatia. I couldn't lead you down a wrong path. And, and, and as a student of God's word, I couldn't perpetuate the same type of preaching that I believe misleads and misrepresents God. So I stepped back. I did what I've been taught to do. I looked at, I looked at verse 7. As I got into context, you know what I found? 
I found that I was wrong. I found that when I looked at it, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And so then I scrambled. How am I going to make this work? How am I going to get this to fit? I, I, I know what God said to me. He said, son, this is where I want you to preach and this is what I want you to say. And I started to question, did God really speak to me? Or was that just my own voice? Now, I know my preacher brothers will tell you, sometimes you hear your own voice. And you get that confused with the voice of God. But let me tell you, family, God is faithful. God is perfect and God has a plan. So as I read this verse, I I decided that I better dig in a little better. I better look what happened before and what happened afterwards, right? I I better know exactly the whole gist of what Paul was writing. So let me take you on this journey of my discovery, and I can show you how I can see the harvest. As chapter 6 starts here in the letter to the Galatians, Paul is instructing the church in how they are supposed to act as a church. Right? He's supposed to, he's telling them how they're supposed to act as representatives of Jesus Christ. And, and if you really le- read this whole letter, it's encouraging, but you'll understand that there's a certain tone that Paul writes it in. He's stern. He's, he's acting as that father that Dr. Bruce was talking about, right? He's giving them that instruction. He's not one of the 10,000 teachers, one of the 10,000 uh, instructors, but he's one of the fathers. So what he's trying to get their, uh, he's trying to do is he's trying to get their attention. He's trying to get them to understand that they are different than the world. And as being different from the world, they're supposed to act differently, and they're supposed to be different. He's telling them that their love, their faith, and their obedience should be different than all of those around them. He reminds them that because of the Holy Spirit lives within them, that they're held to a different standard. And because they're held to a different standard, they're held to a different responsibility. Our responsibility in how we live should be seen in how we treat one another. It should be seen in how we care for one another. You know, Paul said in verse 6 that we as a church have a responsibility to take care of those that teach us the Word of God, who feed us the Word of God, those who labor in the Word of God for our benefit. Believe me, Pastor Wilson does not labor in the Word just for his benefit. Right? He wants to turn the light on for us. He wants us to understand that holiness is the standard. He wants us to know what God is saying and what he's not saying. So that when we examine it ourselves, we get it right. So this is what I liked about the New Living Translation. It says, those who are taught the word of God, that's every one of us here, right? Should provide for their teachers. That's our pastor right there. We should share all good things with them. So what does that mean? Paul was not only talking to the church of Galatia, he's talking to new beginnings. He's reminding us that we have a responsibility to provide for those who teach us. That we share all good things with them and for them. I can't make it any plainer than that. I can't make it any clearer. We have a responsibility to provide for our pastor. He teaches us. He teaches us God's word. He models for us through his life how we should be. He illustrates the example of of how our love, how our faith, and how our obedience towards God should be. Right? It's at the very least. The very least that we can do is provide for Him. Right? We should share with Him. We should give to Him. And And when we give to Him and for Him, we should do it in a way that honors God. 
So how do we honor God, you might ask? We obey God's Word. That's how we honor God. We do what He tells us to do. But you know, somewhere down the line, we've been deceived and we think that since we give in secret, and yes, I'm talking about tithes and offerings right now, right at this moment. We're deceived that because when we put our envelope in the basket, nobody sees what that says. Nobody sees that dollar bill we wrapped up in our hand and put in the basket. We've been deceived that, 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 that what we're giving is what we're supposed to give. We could just give any old amount and nobody would know the difference. Nobody here can judge me because they don't know what I make and they don't know what I'm giving. Nobody here can judge me because uh, they, they didn't have that conversation that I had with God. And he said, this is how much I want you to give. So how can they argue with me about that, right? Well, family, once again, as we look back about what's written here, we find that Paul is admonishing the church. That's why I found this wasn't the right thing to say about all that pastor had done, right? Without looking at it all, he's admonishing the church and he's calling them out. He's letting them know that they aren't going to get away with that kind of attitude. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. I said, "Uh uh-oh. There it is. We harvest what we plant. We can't mock God's judgment. We can't mock His justice. And we certainly can't mock His word. Because we harvest what we plant. Now the church of Galatia, they were, and the church here at New Beginnings, we are being warned not to be deceived. And that whatever seeds we sow, and with the intention in which we sow them, we will reap from that planting. We will be the ones that will receive exactly what we put in. But you know, Brother Paul, you know what I love about expository preaching? It's that when you do it right, when you get the culture and the context right, when you get all the meaning, we don't just take that simple word, we don't take that phrase and expand and expound upon it. No, we take it all. We uncover it all. We clearly then see the will and the way of God. That's what expository preaching does. So let me continue. Paul says that that we can't mock God and, and we will harvest what we plant. But then he tells us what to expect when we plant either by our flesh or if we plant according to the Spirit. He points out the consequences in verse 7. But in verse 8 he tells us, that like any good planter, that um, when we know what we plant, we'll get back what we plant in the harvest. So when we plant bad seed, we're going to have a bad harvest, right? When we plant good seed, we're going to reap a great harvest. Verse 8 says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death. From that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So when we plant according to our own sinful nature, and that's a nice way of just saying, when we, when we, when we plant according to our flesh, to our own desires, right? We will harvest decay and death. It won't be pretty. And it certainly won't be a crop that we'd ever want to plant again. But when we live to please the Spirit, we will have an everlasting harvest from the Spirit of life. 
when we plant according to the will of the flesh, we will reap a harvest of the works of our flesh. But when we plant according to the will of the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. So you might be asking yourself, what exactly is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, you know what? I'm glad you asked because I asked it. And the good thing is, is Paul had already told the church at Galatia. He'd already talked about it in chapter 5. And if, we, if you just go back uh, just a half a page, you look at verse 22. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There it is, family. This is the harvest that will come when you plant by the will of the Spirit. This is the everlasting bounty that comes only from sowing by the will of God. And I'm here to tell you today, New Beginnings, this is what our pastor is planting. This is exactly what Pastor Wilson is sowing here in Fresno. This is what Pastor Wilson is sowing in the community, in the world, and especially in our lives here at New Beginnings. Pastor Wilson is planting love. He's planting joy. He's planting peace. He's planting love, long-suffering. Now, if you don't know what long-suffering is, that's patience. Pastor is patient with us. Pastor is planting goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness. And for more than one of us, I know he's planting self-control. I mean, is there anyone here that can testify that they have been a recipient of any or of all of this fruit borne by our pastor? Is there anyone here that has experienced the love from Pastor Wilson? You know, that show enough love, right? Is there anyone here that has shared in his joy or has been comforted by his peace? Am I the only one here that he's been long-suffering with? Have you? I want you to think about this. Have you walked in his garden? That garden of kindness and goodness faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I don't know about you, family, but I want a pastor who lives, who plants, and who moves according to the will of the spirits. I want a pastor to stand firm and unwavering on the Word of God. I want a pastor who plants the fruit of the Spirit. I want a pastor who bears the fruit of the Spirit. I want a pastor who harvests from the fruit of the Spirit. And I want my pastor to look just like Christ. I want to look at my pastor and I want to see Christ. I want to see him live like Christ. I want to see him love like Christ. And I'm grateful that not only has God loved me enough to send his only begotten son to come and live a perfect life and to die on the cross so that I may be saved forever, but I'm grateful that that God loved me so much that he gave me Pastor Wilson. He gave me a teacher. He gave me a pastor. He gave me a father. He gave me a leader. He gave me a mentor. And... And he gave me a friend. That's all in my pastor. Pastor Wilson. Family, I want a pastor where it's evident that he lives a life that bears fruit of the Spirit. I want a pastor that we don't have to search for the good fruit. That it's hanging there all the time. It's ripe and it's ready to pluck. I don't want to have to throw out any of that bad fruit that that gets harvested from planting bad seed. So I tell you, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. 
Family, these are the things that our pastor is teaching us. This is the fruit of the will of the Spirit. Because it comes from the Word of God. He didn't make it up. He didn't have to. Now as I come to my close, just one more verse to consider. Verse 9. And, and, and I almost didn't put this in here. But the Spirit said, Son, you got a little more reading to do. So my pastor... My family, I want you to hear the words of the Lord. He said, let's not get tired of doing what is good. Because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. So don't grow weary, Pastor. Because the big harvest is coming soon. Don't get tired, my brothers and my sisters. Because I have seen what our pastor has planted. I have witnessed what he has sown, and I know that the harvest is coming. Don't grow weary, new beginnings, because I have seen the sprouts of the fruit that has been born of the Spirit. Don't lose heart, because I haven't. You know, it was evident when I was here on Friday afternoon, Friday morning, When I watched what happened in this very sanctuary, this very room, in this very house, I saw the fruit. And boy, was it sweet. I saw the fruit that was born because of the planting of the Spirit of God through our pastor. And I saw it in each and every one of you. I saw it when you came out to show love to a family and to a community that you didn't know. But you love them just because you love Jesus. I saw how you bore fruit of peace and joy towards people that were mourning and saying goodbye to a loved one, even though they weren't part of New Beginnings. I saw it as someone came out and said, I have nothing else to do, but I want to help. But you know what, New Beginnings? This is the fruit of the Spirit. And this is all part of God's plan and God's will. I watched each and every one as you poured out long-suffering because there was some long-suffering. People didn't know what church was about. People didn't know how to respect the house of God. I watched as you poured out kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Lord knows we needed it at times. The harvest of your fruit was, was present. But it wasn't just present at that funeral service. It wasn't just present as, as this place. This place was packed. This place was packed. There wasn't a seat available in this house. We had chairs along the wall. We had half. This place was packed. But because of the fruit of the Spirit, these people came to know something that they hadn't known before. They talked about love, but I don't know if they really got that love. I pray that some of that sticks with them, that they would come back and say, they did this and they don't even know me. But you know that the harvest of that fruit wasn't just that one act, right? I watched as you worked together on Friday afternoon as you came to prepare for the community for the Harvest Festival, right? I was a witness to the love that you poured out, that genuine love that you gave to the community, right? I saw the friendliness, the joy, and the peace. I heard the laughter and the compassion and the kindness in your voices. I saw the goodness and the faithfulness, the gentleness and self-control. I saw it all. And you know what? So did God. My Lord. My Lord. Yes, my family, this area, 
This community, our neighborhood, the one that we labored in, the one that we walked out and knocked on doors and said, we'd like you to come. We're new beginnings. We're part of your community. Right? They came and they said, we thank you for inviting us. And you know what they knew as they left here? They now know who we are. And they know that the light of Christ resides here at 5089 East McKinley. Now, this wasn't by accident, and it wasn't by choice. It it wasn't by chance. It was all because of the love, the faith, and the obedience of our pastor, who has planted and who has sown the will of the Spirit. So, Pastor, I want to say don't lose heart. Don't grow weary and don't get tired. The harvest of what you have planted is alive and well. It's growing and it's maturing. Pastor, this isn't an admonition when I use Paul's words. Rather, it is an encouragement. Yes, sir. You harvest what you plant. Yes, sir. And pastor, oh pastor, <laughs> the harvest indeed is plentiful. Amen. I can see it. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen, amen. There's some preaching in the house this morning. can't believe I have to go after Tom. Grace and joy, family. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. One more day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for another day. Thanking you for your mercy, your love, and your grace. God, we know that you didn't have to do it this morning, God, but you did it for us anyways. And God, for that, we say thank you. Father, I ask that you use me, God, in a mighty and supernatural way, Father. God, that someone may get to know you, God, and God, that our pasture may be exalted, God. But most of all, God, that you be exalted, Lord, because of God, we know, God, that you are worthy, God, of all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank God and amen. Amen. Family, this morning, I want to come out of Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. You can please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Pastor, I want to thank you for this opportunity to preach in your pulpit one more time. And it reads, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desired to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Amen. Family, what better example do we see than in our pastor if anyone would say our pastor is walking the walk and not just talking the talk pastor wilson is an example that i would recommend for anybody to follow see pastor wilson is one that desires to follow jesus Pastor Wilson is one that denies himself the pleasures of this world. 
See, family, in this text, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were opposing the work of Jesus. See, and the faith of the disciples was weary. And Jesus was telling his disciples that he must go and suffer many things by the hands of the chief priests and the elders. See, family, following Jesus will cost you to lose some stuff. See, family, following Jesus will cost you a little bit of pain and suffering. See, family, our pastor goes through this pain and suffering. See, in these days, family, the cross was an instrument of suffering. The cross was a means of capital punishment. See, bearing this cross meant dying. See, family, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desire to come after me. See, some translations say, if anyone will come after me. See, in other words, if you will or if it's your purpose. Or if it's your delight, Jesus says, to come after me. See, and we see this in our pasture. See, it is his desire to follow Jesus. See, it is, it is his delight. See, it is a purpose that he picks up with a cheerful heart. See, family, and I know this because some weeks ago we were in a associate pastor meeting. And our pastor says, my desire is to do more for Jesus. See, my pastor says, I want to do more for Jesus. I want to run for Jesus. And I looked at my pastor with teary eyes and I said, good Lord, pastor, you are already running. And I said to myself, good Lord, Pastor, you look tired. But he said, no, I want to do more for Jesus. This is my desire to do more and more for my God. See, my pastor's desire is not to sit still, but to continue to run. See, our pastor's desire is to follow Jesus in the ways of the Lord. See, our pastor takes pleasure in serving the Lord. Our pastor enjoys doing ministry for Jesus. Our pastor enjoys the ministry even though it gets hard. See, pastor knows that people will let you down, but he also knows that God will never let him down. So he takes pleasure in serving the people of God. See, Pastor, my prayer is that you will go on another 25 years doing ministry for Jesus. See, Pastor, my prayer is that your desire for Jesus does not change, that you may continue to press on and do the will of the Father. See, family, our desires and pleasures should be one like our pastor. See, even though ministry gets tough and the devil is at your heels, family, let us not change our desire. Let us keep on following Jesus. See, Jesus says, if only if anyone should desire, but he should also deny himself. See, Warren Risby puts it like this. 
to deny self does not mean to deny things. It means to give up yourself wholly to Christ and to share the shame and death of the cross. To deny oneself is to refrain from satisfying one's needs or desires. See, we see this in our pastor. He continues to preach and continues to teach. See, he doesn't have to do it, but he does it because he refrains from the things of this world. See, family, we see pastor denies himself. One should... One could say that pastor lives a life, as Paul says it in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, our pastor lives as a sacrifice, new beginnings, that we may share in what God has to say. See, family, our pastor labors in the text. He is a living sacrifice for Jesus. See, he not only does it for Jesus, but he does it for us. That we may be strengthened in the faith. See, that we may not be shaken when troubles come. See, that our faith may not grow weary when situations arise. So family, please honor our pastor as he sacrifices his life for new beginnings. See, our pastor lives... A sacrificial life on to Jesus. These are some things that I see in our pastor. See, he denies himself his own rights. See, he denies himself and he submits to the will of Jesus. See, he denies himself and he lets Jesus take full control of his life. See, family, deny yourself the pleasures and let Jesus take control. Not only should you desire to go after Jesus, but you must deny yourself. See, and you should also take up your cross. See, taking up the cross is to identify with Jesus in suffering, shame, and death. See, the word... The world today does not see the world as a pastor, as one to look up to. See, the world today does not respect the pastor. See, for some people, they even hate the pastor because he is a pastor. See, all because they also hate Jesus. See, taking up your crosses when... You prepare sermons and lessons, and people do not change. See, taking up your cross is when you show love to those that you know will hate you. See, taking up your cross is to obey God. See, taking up your cross is to suffer for those that you are suffering with. See, taking up your crosses to continue to preach even though people don't want to listen to you. 
See, taking up your cross is to spend countless times in the book. See, taking up your cross is to uh, deny time with your family to spend it with Jesus. See, taking up your cross is to continue to suffer for this church. So, Pastor, I thank you for suffering and taking up your cross. See, Pastor, because if it wasn't for you, a lot of us wouldn't even be here. See, Pastor, if it wasn't for your obedience to God, a lot of us will probably still be smoking. See, Pastor, if it wasn't for your obedience, a lot of us will probably still be drinking. See, Pastor, if it wasn't for your obedience, oh, some of us will probably be dead. So, Pastor, I thank you because of your obedience and because of your cross-bearing. Pastor, I thank you that I can say thank you because I am saved. See, so don't uh, forget your pastor on this season. Or don't forget your pastor throughout the year because he labors and he suffers for us. Not only for us, but he does it for Jesus. So, Pastor, I thank you because you suffer that we may live. See, Pastor, you suffer that we may obey. See, Pastor, you suffer that we may learn just a little more about Jesus. So, Pastor, I thank you because you are a good example of a cross-bearer. So, Pastor, I thank you that you suffer that I may live a little. Not only that, but we thank you because you introduce us to Jesus and you take us deeper into the word. So, Pastor, I thank you that you were obedient to Jesus. And I thank God because if it wasn't for Jesus going to the cross, if it wasn't for Jesus taking nails in his hands and nails in his feet, our pastor wouldn't be here as our pastor. So I thank you, Jesus, for taking the crown of thorn on your head. I thank you, Jesus, for taking lashes on your back. I thank you, Jesus, that you suffered that we may live. I thank you, Jesus, for bowing your head on that cross. I thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to the Father. And I thank you, Jesus, for dying and uh, letting yourself be buried in a borrowed tomb. You see, because you didn't have to let you be buried, Jesus. No, you didn't have to, but you did it anyways that we may live. And Jesus, I thank you for raising up on that third day, for taking sting out of death and allowing us to have everlasting life. So I thank you, Jesus, because you have been so good to us. I thank you, Jesus, because you didn't have to do it, but you did it anyways. I thank you, Jesus, that we may trust in you. I thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. I thank you, Jesus, for giving us a pastor after your own heart. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done from new beginnings. And I pray, God, that you may continue to take our pastor higher and higher. God, I thank you. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you. Amen.